0: For Wendy and me, it's great to be back. Uh, We've been away uh, for actually just over five weeks. So, we went first to uh, Muscat in Oman, where we have a church, a New Frontiers church, which is doing very well. Uh, They hired a substantial tent and put it up in the Christian compound in that uh, Islamic nation. And uh, we had a great, great time. They asked me to speak on being filled with the Spirit. And at the end, lots of people came forward, lots of people got filled with the Spirit. We saw some wonderful healings, which was hugely encouraging. Uh, Even the administrator, who told me she had a frozen arm and couldn't move it, we prayed for her. And then she started windmilling her arm. And uh, her so-called atheistic adopted daughter uh, said, pray for me. And she also got healed. And became a Christian. So that was a great start to our time away. Uh, it was really wonderful time. And uh, then we went to a place called Al Ain, which is halfway between Muscat and Dubai. And Steve Oliver, who heads up one of the New Frontier spheres, groups of churches now, had gathered leaders from India, from Africa, from Europe. And we had uh, a week uh, with those guys. Uh, Ray Lowe was also there, who's coming to our church weekend had a super time. And then in Dubai, we had a good time. And then down to Cape Town and Pretoria, Uh, we have children and grandchildren in Cape Town. So that was special fun. Uh, But it was also great to go up to uh, Pretoria, where a friend of ours leads a really large, flourishing church. And it was great to stand with him and uh, to speak there. They asked me to speak on Grace. They said it's a rather uh, kind of legalistic uh, area. And would I preach grace for the week, which I did. And it was a great response, had a great time, and then as I say, finished up in Cape Town. We again we had we had a super time with our own church and with uh, another local church and a leaders gathering which drew people actually from all over Cape Town, which was a very exciting opportunity to share with a lot of <laughs> leaders from a lot of churches. So uh, those of you who may have been aware of us and what they were praying for us, thank you. It was it was a really good time. Really appreciated the opportunity to be in those settings. Now, I'm going to be with you for three weeks now, and I, I've been praying very much what uh, uh, to focus thoughts on, and felt very much that God drew me to look at the life of Moses. And uh, actually, we do that for three weeks, and then in other weeks that when I'll be preaching, I think I should stay with it. Um, I just felt God was saying, "I'm taking you on a journey," and really, the story of Moses is a most wonderful journey. So we'll start with him at the beginning, Exodus chapter 2, and then shortly after that we'll look at some verses in Hebrews 11. So Exodus 2 to give us the background. Exodus 2, now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket, covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens, walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And When she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I'll give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became as her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Then in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, that's in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament. Chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truths that have already filled our minds and hearts this morning as we've sung your praise. We're so grateful for your amazing grace. We're so grateful that you've dealt with our debts, that, Lord God, you've invited us to be your children. You've awakened us out of death into life. Now, Father, we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful that, Lord, you've said to us, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, How much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we ask you right now, Father, let the Holy Spirit come upon us, be our teacher, take the things of Christ, reveal them to us. Let what happens here now be inspired by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the people of Israel find themselves in Egypt. Initially, that was a very positive action. You may remember the story of Joseph, whom God raised up and made extraordinary promises to. Uh, He was true to a vision that God gave him. He went down into Egypt and became kind of prime minister of the nation, and while there... His brothers came, and just some 70-plus people came down and were given great favor. They were given a really excellent piece of land to live on. And then gradually, as the years slipped by, the Pharaoh who invited them, the Pharaoh who so honored Joseph because of his deliverance, the way he served the nation, uh, passed on, and different Pharaohs came and went, and it was a season of some hundreds of years. And during that period of time, the nation of Israel grew and grew and grew. So much so that the Pharaoh began to be alarmed at their size and decided to uh, persecute them and to limit their growth. So much so that he came to such a horrific moment that he said, well, all male children must be destroyed. All male children at birth must be hurled into the Nile. So it's an absolutely wicked uh, generation. And Moses is born into a terrible circumstance. You know, if you're going to be born somewhere, you think, boy, do I want to be born among slaves? Do I want to be born among slaves where boys get killed? I mean, you couldn't imagine a worse place to be born. But at the same time, this whole story, as we know now, of course, turns on this man. God's great plan for Israel is actually focused and invested in this life. God gets hold of lives what look like ordinary babies born, and then invest purpose in them. And here this guy is God's chosen instrument. So he's born at a terrible time, he's born in a terrible location, but actually he's born to the people of God. This unique people on planet Earth who had God appear to their forefather, Abram. And God said to Abram, through your family, through your seed... All the families of the earth will be blessed. So this nation was unique in the world. This nation held within its ranks, as it were, the hope of world history. Actually, ultimately, from them would come the Christ, the Saviour of the whole world. So they uniquely carried this promise, this people, though they were so persecuted now, though they were so closed in, they were under such pressure, actually still, they are the only people in the whole world that God has promised, I will bless all the world through what comes out of you. They're a unique nation in the world. God's great plan, we need to understand the Bible, though it's 66 different books, is one story. And the story starts, really, when God says to a man called Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. And Moses is the next great figure who comes on the scene, as after all these years of slavery, a new chapter is beginning. It's kind of a wake-up call we've been hearing about this morning, that God begins in a time of prolonged darkness to say to a guy, I've got purposes, and they're going to start breaking open now. That's how church history has been. It hasn't been steady growth. It's been kind of up and down, and very often it's turned on God coming to a man like John Wesley or Whitfield or D.L. Moody and suddenly investing in them great purpose, and so much has happened out of a life that he's raised up. Maybe a Gladys Aylward, maybe... A Jackie Pullinger, one girl says, "Yes, I'll go." And out of that, hundreds of people get saved. So God begins His purpose in this man, Moses, and He begins to outwork that plan with him. So he's born, yes, in terrible times, but he's born to believing parents. Obviously, the years had slipped by, and I guess hope was fading, but. Moses' parents were believers. They find their place in Hebrews 11, which is the kind of great heroes chapter. By faith, it says, they hid the child. So they took a very dangerous uh, action, really. They were supposed to destroy this boy. Supposed to be handed over for destruction. They said no, by faith. Their faith overcame their fear. You can't do both at the same time. You either fear or you believe. It's important for us to know that, isn't it? So, no, no, they believed God, and they, they looked after this little boy. There must have been something, I think, in the heart of God that had been revealed to them. Although it says he was a beautiful boy, I guess most of us think our children are beautiful, even if we think, as strangers, it looks like a lump of dough to me. But uh, <laughs> in the eyes of parents, think, "Oh, so precious, you know. Uh, but I think there's more here. I think there's, uh, there's a faith element, and, and, and the Bible, very clearly, faith is believing God. So I think that God had maybe whispered something to them about the purpose that was wrapped up in this life. And their parents, his parents' names were Jochabed, which means Yahweh is glorious, and the other was Amran, which is the people are exalted. Now to have names like that, and even a previous generation, was holding faith, where you think, well, where is God glorious? We're slaves. But in the midst of darkness, it's always been the, the case, even when Jesus was born, there was Anna, there was Simeon, there was a, there was a little nucleus who still believed in God. And these people, they even called their children wonderful names. God is glorious. The people, the people, but they look like a back gang of slaves, but the people are exalted. So faith was still lingering in this very dark age. And Moses had this massive privilege of being born into a believer's home. Not a religious home. Sometimes we almost deplore the fact that I was raised a Christian. I got no testimony. And so I say, yeah, I became a Christian when I was six. Like, you know, when I gave up a life of terrible shame when I was six. And you think, oh, I've got no testimony. If only I'd had a bad testimony and I could glory in it. No, if you're children of believers, it's massive privilege. And Moses was the child of believers. And they 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 believed God. They, his boy was surrounded by faith from the beginning. So they kept him instead of killing him. And then there came that moment where they thought that we can't hide him any longer. And uh, they put him in a basket, which they coated with tar and pitch, took it to the water's edge among the reeds by the Nile. And it wasn't abandoning him because it says quite plainly that Miriam, his sister, was watching. It's not like, oh, well, goodbye, we give it all over. No, no, she's watching. There's a sense in which there's a faith element. What will God do? What will God do? And then we see the story turning on this lovely detail of sovereignty that he cries Pharaoh's daughter's there, and the next step takes place. Pharaoh's daughter falls in love with the baby, has mercy on him, and takes him. You know, lots of Bible stories turn on a detail of timing. It's, again, very encouraging for us, dear friends, that your life and mine, they can turn on moments, a conversation, a person you meet, a context you find yourself in. It seems random, but it's actually God's moment for something to break through. Think of Joseph. His brothers are about to kill him. One of them prevails. No, don't kill him. Pulls him out. And just then, these these merchants going down to Egypt come by, just in that moment. And the story turns on them saying, oh, we'll take him. And the next stage begins. The whole story of Esther turns on the king having a a dream at the absolute crucial moment. Beloved, God's got his hand on your life. He can make things work just in a moment. In In a moment of time, a chance conversation, a meeting, a development, and it's God. And Miriam's got enough faith to say, I'm going to watch what God will do. It's good for us to wait for his moments, anticipate his moments, be responsive in his moments. The story turns then on this moment, and uh, she takes the child. Miriam rushes forward and says, Would you like a nurse? It's all very cunning, really. Yes, okay, why not? You have a nurse to look after this baby for me. I'll pay the wages. So it's rather hysterical, really, that he's given back to his own mother, and Pharaoh pays the wages for this child who will deliver Israel from him. And I love that verse in the Bible, it says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. That, that God's amazingly over the detail. And Pharaoh, who's so furious with Israel, destroying them, is actually paying the wages for his own mother to care for Moses. So there she has him in the home, and then there comes the time when, yeah, that season's over, and she hands him over. We don't know precisely what age that was, but he's handed over now, no longer just a baby, presumably, I guess, someone in his teen years or something, handed over to become, as it were, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he's raised in that context. He's raised, and it says in Acts 7, where's a an inspired uh, comment on these days, it says in Acts 7, he was instructed in all the education of Egypt. He's sent away to Egypt University. And while he's there, he's taught all the philosophy of the Egyptians, their astrology, their Egyptian science, their philosophy, their language, their whole worldview, an Egyptian worldview. He is instructed in an Egyptian worldview. And it says this, he became mighty in word and deed as a young prince in Egypt. He's hugely privileged. He's not just saved from death. He's brought right into a royal household. He's almost, one could argue, in line for the throne. He's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And some would argue, if you look at the commentaries, yes, he was in line for tremendous authority and power. There he is. And it's interesting, uh, there's a Hebrew historian called Josephus, and he records that there was a battle where the Ethiopians... Defeated the Egyptians and were about to take Memphis. And Moses, as a young prince, led the royal army against the Ethiopians. Won a great victory and brought the spoils back into Egypt. So he's a a renowned, successful prince in Egypt. That's the background to our whole story. And then we look into the Hebrews verses, which is where I want to focus, really. I've been looking at the background, been looking at how the story starts, uh, what happened, his, his situation. And then we find this extraordinary verse that by faith, when he became mature, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith. So this young man has got two value systems. One of them is visible. It's tangible, it's present, it's impressive. The Egyptian view of life, the Egyptian culture. People still study Egyptology of that period. It was breathtaking in its sophistication. They were by far the most dominant nation in the world at the time. Breakthroughs in medicine, breakthroughs, all kinds of discoveries. They were a phenomenal people, absolutely phenomenal culture. He had that. There it is. You can see it. You can see the pyramids. You can see the whole deal. You can see this massive army. You can see their culture, their sophistication. But he's got another value. The one that his parents told him about when he was young. When they told him of an unseen, spiritual, future, otherworldly vision. Outwardly unimpressive. At the moment, represented by despised slaves. At the moment, represented by weak, uneducated, impoverished, unimpressive people. And so he's got these two visions. This glorious, sophisticated vision. All this bright look they produced. And this strange, unseen. Saying, look, our forefather spoke to Abraham. God spoke to our father Abraham. He spoke to him. He, he made him a promise. He said, he said, we carry God's plan for the world. And something in the heart of these parents, it must have been so living with them, in spite of the dead uh, situa- situation, the problems that they encountered, in spite of all that, this vision, this burning hope was in their hearts. And they were able to impart to this young man enough vision, enough comprehension That this is God's global plan. We carry God's vision. We are the people of God. We may look bad now. We're not impressive now. We meet in a TA building. You know, we're not impressive now. But we have God's great plan. And down through church history, there have been groups that have met in caves and situations and difficulties and setbacks, hardships. And yet they carry in their heart, we are God's people. We have a vision of phenomenal significance. We carry world history in our hands. And sometimes people within that framework, like a Wilberforce, comes through living for these visions and has political power for a season, gets rid of slavery, and then, and then, and then things do. And then another guy comes through and changes things. And, and this, this people, this church of the Living God, that's gone down through the centuries, has changed education, it's changed hospitals, it's changed nursing, it's changed uh, prisons. different times when the church has emerged and key players have come through, they' had huge impact, and then it seems to hide away and die away think, what church? What's church? It's irrelevant. I mean, 21st century now. Come on. Let's get sophisticated. And that's the kind of battle that went on in Moses' world. He's got this hugely successful, sophisticated system. And he's got this spiritual thing, which you can't see. But it's burning in his parents' heart. And it comes to this moment when he was mature, it says. About 40 years of age. And he made a choice. And by faith, he refused to be called the son of daughter. He came to a choice that was not the result. I want us to understand this. It wasn't the result of parental pressure. See, some of us might say, well, my parents raised me this way. I went away to university. I saw something completely different. But my parent, none of these parents were, this guy's a young prince now. His identity is Pharaoh's daughter's son. he got huge clout. He's a significant guy. He's free from parental control. And he makes the choice himself. The choices we make for ourselves are the ones that really count. See, he wasn't imposed upon. He wasn't forced to do this. He did it. We'll see more and more in a moment. He did it by faith. Hebrews 11 is about people who did things by faith. That's the whole point of Hebrews 11. If we could go through a series on Hebrews 11, you'll find one after another, these characters in the Bible, that they saw something and it rescued them from the short term, the immediate, maybe the impressive, and launched them into another thing. They saw something bigger than what's up in your face. They saw something supernatural. That's how it all started with Abraham. It says of Abraham, he left Ur of the Chaldees, a city, and it says he was looking for the city with foundations. So maker and builder is God. Another kind of city. In fact, some people have said the Bible is the tale of two cities. Go back to Jerusalem, a big one. Go back to Genesis. You find there's Babel, that great city, and Jerusalem. And then you come right through to the end of the book, book of Revelation, You find Babylon, that great city. Then it says, in one moment, it's destroyed. Then it says, there's this holy city. There's the great city and the holy city. And this holy city comes down like a bride out of heaven, ready for her husband. There's there's an invisible reality that can captivate our hearts. Sometimes it breaks through. Sometimes like this, this girl in, in, in Muscat, so I don't believe anything. Suddenly she's healed. Suddenly she realized, hey, this like, my mother's healed now. What, why, I'm healed. She steps into this city. She steps into a city which is by faith, believing God's promises. And steps into something that, yeah, it's so real that for Moses, he made this big choice. This immediate thing, I've got power in, I've got prestige. I, am, I come on, I'm a prince, I can have what I like. I'm going to leave it and give myself to this unseen thing. So it was a choice that was not based on parental control. It wasn't imposed upon him. It wasn't what a good Hebrew would do. It was by faith. And as we go through, I want us to see this. He didn't see it as sacrifice either. Because he reckoned, I've seen something better. That's the point. That's the point for for us as believers, dear friends. We're not sacrificing. We're not shut in. We're not thinking, I've got to do this kind of stuff. It's because you've seen something better. By faith, Moses said, forget it all. I've seen something better. So it's not for him a sacrifice. He says, okay, I'll leave it. And it's important, as I say, because we tend to think of Moses as the law man. He's the man who gave us the Ten Commandments from God. He mediated it. He brought it. You think of Moses as oh, always a law man. No, no. By, Moses, you don't understand Moses, if you don't understand this by faith, he made this choice. And, and it says the whole nation was baptized into Moses. So Moses is laying the foundations for a completely new community on planet Earth who live by faith, not by just evidence. So Paul can say in the New Testament, looking at things that are unseen, not at things that are seen. We see many things. We can be impressed by many things. But we are more impressed by something that's unseen, that's come into our lives and captivated us. And changed our value system. And that's what happened to Moses. He did it by faith. He did it because he suddenly saw something. Or maybe over a period of time, gradually was seeing this. Now, sometimes when you talk about faith, especially in the modern culture, people talk about faith to obtain things. And and you'll find churches, maybe mostly in the USA, sometimes called faith churches, and and sometimes even called prosperity churches. And uh, you can find it on American television, too. Christian messages, which is about prosperity. You can have Jesus and you can have everything you want. You can have a nice big car, you can have gold, you can have the whole deal, you know, and Jesus gives you all that. And uh, so faith means you add more stuff to you. Uh, you, you, you and, and lots of books are written, and it, it's really missing the point about what Christianity is. Because it's like, you can read all these books, they fill Christian bookshops how you can be successful, how to love the real you, how to overcome self doubt, how to be it's like, hey, all you need is Jesus and he'll give you everything you want. By faith. Just faith. Have enough faith. Haven't you got it? You need more faith. You can get more. Send me your money and it'll work. That's how it works. So. That's how the television thing happens. You know, you make me rich, I'll show you how it works. Look at my Rolls Royce that I drive. You can believe, you can have it as well. Send me some more of your money. And that's a culture, sadly, horrible culture. uh, But as in some places, tragically, even invades poor countries. And they sometimes believe it. And out of their poverty, they try and make it work. And it's a horrible, distorted message. It says here of Moses, by faith he refused. He refused what? Wealth. Ah, no, you can get more wealth. No, he refused it. So Moses' faith is a more radical kind of faith. The The word radical means of the root. It's getting to the root of the issue. Moses' faith is more radical. It goes to the root. By faith, he refused everything that was on offer. They said, we'll make you rich. He said, no, you won't. I don't want it. Now we'll make you powerful. No, you won't. He refused it. He turned his back on it and he headed off for a completely different kind of inheritance. It's the beginning of a journey we'll walk through together as the weeks unfold. But it starts here, beloved. It starts with a man making a radical decision. What? Are, who am I? It, it starts with a real process of refusing an identity. He refused the temporary. He understood this was a temporary offer. Impressive, but temporary. And so he he refused the identity, first of all. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. They said, that's who you are. He said, it's not. It's not who I am. It's, it, in the end, dear friends, the Christians... God's given us a new identity and we live it out. We're not people trying to achieve an identity. We're not trying, if I can only be good, if I can go to church enough, if I can read my Bible more, if I can try and be Christian, I'll become something. No, no. God gives us a new identity at the beginning. You get born again. It's free. It's the wonder of it. You have a completely new start. God gives you a new identity. You become a child of God. To as many as received him, To them he gave authority to become children of God. It's free. You have a new identity. And that is your essential identity. See, sometimes people say, oh, hello, who are you? And then they say, what do you do? Oh, I'm a policeman, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a this, some of that. That's your identity. No, that's just something I do. My identity, my ultimate identity, I'm a child of God. Everything works out from that. So he refused other people giving him a false identity. He said, I'm not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm not. He, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused other people imposing their agenda on him. A friend of mine who became a pastor felt God was calling him actually to put down his secular job. That's the way God led him. And he went to see his boss. His intention was to give in his notice... And when he went, the boss said, oh, come on in. We're so glad to see you. Take a seat. We want to tell you our plan for your life. And he sat there and thought, wow. And they started talking about the car he'd have and the position he'd have and the people would be within his sphere. This is our plan for your life. And he said, just as he just made this decision, costly decision, to put down what he already had, they're offering him even more. And he said, thankfully, I, I was clear. Now I, I don't actually want your plan for my life. I want somebody else's plan for my life. It's on a bigger scale. So he made a, he made a decision based on, I'm not letting other people tell me who I am. It's who we are. And it makes, it makes us make radical choices in life. See, you you can either say, well, this is my world, this is my family, this is my children, this is my job, this is my insurance system, and I have Jesus. Or you say, no, no, Jesus has given me a completely new identity. It's much more radical. Much more radical. It's cut right. So Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I'm a new person. Or again in Galatians when he says, I glory in the cross not as a sentimental memory, a glory in the cross by which I was crucified to the world. And the world was crucified to me. A radical change in my view of the world took place when I became a Christian. My expectations, my identity, thoroughly, radically, at the root, changed. I've been crucified to it. That's what's happening to Moses here. saying, no, no, I don't want your, what you're offering me. God's got a plan for my life. And it works from a completely different foundation. It comes from trusting him. It comes from obeying him. It comes from doing what he offers me. So he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused what's called the passing pleasures of sin. Because this world is very attractive. Sin is very attractive. Sin's fun. Sin's excitement. That old hymn says the pleasures of sin I resign and years ago it was challenged in some hymn books to the follies of sin I resign. But it's true, the Bible says, there's pleasure in sin. If there wasn't pleasure in it, we wouldn't be at all attracted. What the Bible's saying is no, it's very short term. It, it, it's so to- frighteningly intoxicating and you just imagine the kind of opportunity would have been for a young prince in Egypt to have whatever he wanted. He's a prince. He can do what he likes. He can have what's on offer. And I'm sure there would have been a lot on offer. But he looks at it and says, no, that's short term. I I was very shocked once. I was in Ghana with one of our South African pastors and uh, he was taking a session. I'm sitting in the crowd and he began to talk about the pleasures of sin, the temptations of sin he said once he was away in a European city and he'd just flown in, he was in the bus shuttle going to the hotel and he said I'm in I'm in the shuttle uh, and uh, the bus going to the hotel he said a beautiful girl got in next to him and uh, as she got into the bus she dropped her handbag or dropped something uh, and he, he got down and picked it up and gave it to her and he said her fragrance was kind of overwhelming and She's kind of stunning girl, and he gave her the handbag, and she was very sweet and smiled at him. And, and she said, "Have you been here before?" "Yes, I've been here before." "Oh, I've never been here before." "Oh, this is fantastic. That is fantastic. Uh, how long you feel?" "Oh, just a couple of days." And uh, so he's an anonymous man in another continent. And uh, would you like? Yeah, I'll show you around. Uh, yeah, I've got the evening free. And so he starts showing her around the city. Show her, just that evening, showing her around the city. She's laughing at his jokes. This is what he said. She's enjoying my jokes. She enjoy, I'm thinking, I'm wow, this incredible girl. And we go back to the hotel. I say goodnight. I go to my room. A few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. I open the door. She walks straight into the bedroom and says, what time's Breakfast. And he said, "The reason I can say this is because I opened the door again and said, it's such and such a time. Good night, close the door." So I wouldn't be able to say that with my wife sitting in the back row, which she was. I'm sitting there thinking, "Gosh, what's he going to say next?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, she's sitting in the back row. She knows the story. I was silly to even be fascinated. But come the crunch, I closed the door and pushed her out. See, he knew, wow, the pleasures, the excitement of this beautiful girl, this fragrant, as he called her, enjoying his humor, walking into his bedroom. And he's anonymous in another continent. No one knows, but he would know. And he just knew, no, that's passing, that's passing. See, the pleasures of sin. And so Moses made a choice that's not just on morality. It's not your good guys don't do that, bad guys do. It's no, no, I don't belong to that world. I don't belong. I've been, I'm out of that passing age. I'm in another age. I'm in another, I'm a new creation. God's making new creation. We're part of a new creation. And that, that belongs to something that's going to pass away. God's going to judge the world for its grossness. And we're not part of it. It doesn't belong to us. It's far unto us. And, and in that moment, he suddenly, he suddenly thought, God, I got very frightening close to that. And, and, and backed off quickly. The passing pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable. Of course it's pleasurable. It wouldn't have any pull on us. But he refused the passing pleasures of sin. And it says, the riches of Egypt the riches of Egypt. He overcame that. He, I mean, he had great, terrific resources. The young prince had what he likes. So here it is. He it says, no, no, he didn't embrace that. He didn't live there. He refused to be intoxicated by wealth and the power and the liberty that wealth gives. But wealth gives you liberty. As it says in James, you can say, we'll, we'll go here, we'll do that, we'll go that. It's, oh, I can do whatever I like. I've got the resources. I don't have to ask anybody's permission. I think we'll go here. We'll send my kid to there. We'll have vacation there. You know, it's my freedom. This guy's got freedom. Do what he likes. And he says, Moses gave it up. Now, does that mean all Christians have to give up money? Now, Jesus spoke to one man. You remember the rich young ruler? And he he had a conversation with him. How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus spoke about the Ten Commandments, and he said, well, I've done all that stuff. He said, right, sell what, you've got. Now, you don't find Jesus saying that to everybody, actually. The church was not made up of a lot of people who used to have money, and now they're in poverty. Because they've given everything away. Not everybody was told to give everything away. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy 6, instruct the rich. So here's Paul, the apostle, speaking to a guy working in a local church situation instruct the rich. So there are rich in the church. It's not like you can't come to this church, you're rich. If you're a Christian, you give it away. You live as an ascetic. No, no, instruct the rich. Rich are part of the church. But notice what he does is say, instruct the rich. And look at this phrase, interesting. It's in Ephesians 1 Timothy 6:17. Instruct the rich in this present world. There's that note struck again. It's just a passing time. This present world, this immediate world that's going to pass away soon. And our lives are passing away quick. Wendy bought some daffodils recently. I love them, don't you? Daffodils. I have to amen, Jason. Daffodils are fantastic. <laughs> right? They're beautiful. They lo- and, and we just put them in the thing and they're just closed up. And each morning we go down to breakfast and they open a bit more, and those are open, and those are open, and those are open. You think, oh, stunning. Now, this morning I noticed one of them's dead. See, it's passing. And the Bible says life is like a flower it flourishes, it withers, it dies. It's passing. We've got a short time, beloved, to make real choices. What matters? What matters? Is it now? Or are we thinking about my eternal soul? What am I going to do with this eternal soul God's given me? I've got a few years, maybe, to think about that. It's a big choice. The biggest decision we'll ever make. This man made a huge decision. It's based on faith. He made a decision that changed his value system. Because he's looking. It says he's looking for the reward. We'll get there in a minute. He's looking elsewhere. He says, tell... Paul says to Timothy, instruct the rich not to give it all away. Doesn't say that. Instruct the rich to tithe? No, it doesn't say that either. Doesn't say just give a tenth and you're all right. No, no, he says this. Instruct the rich not to be conceited. You happen to be rich. We happen to be rich. On a global scale, we're all rich. <laughs> Let's face it. Don't be conceited. Or fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. You happen to be rich, be careful you don't put your trust there. It used to be good to say, it's in the bank. It's a bit scary now to say it's in the bank. (laughs) It's uncertain. Don't put your hope there. But it says, look, but on God, who actually, this lovely text says, richly blesses us with all things to enjoy. See, that's where people are so wrong, that God's against you, God's miserable, God wants to, No, no, you're surprised with all things to enjoy. He's a God an immense blessing. He loves to bless. He wants to bless. And so asceticism is not Christianity. That whole thing that happened in the medieval ages, the dark ages, No you know, Christianity, you just beat yourself and wear hair, clothing, you know. You, ugh. No, no, God's given us all things to enjoy. That's fine. And then it says this, there should be also... Rich in good works, generous, ready to share. Then comes this eternal note again. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Okay, so you're rich in this present age. What is life indeed? It's this invisible world that we're all going into. And the way we handle our money will demonstrate, are we really preoccupied with this or are we laying hold of that which is life indeed? Are we storing up for ourselves? Storing up for ourselves. Happens, I'm preaching on one of our gift days. Is the way we respond to this, could it be described? Generous, storing up for the future. Or is it, oh well, what have I got? Stick it in. See, these kind of values are meant to come right on into. Does it matter to us? We want a a building that God can use. Something that really is a confronting Kingston with the presence of Christians. That's our vision. That's what we're praying for, working for, giving towards. We say, no, that that matters a lot. That invades our choices. We're not casual about it. We say, no, God, what you're after really matters to us. It affects the way we think. affects the way we live. So Moses turned his back on a wrong value system and embraced another. And let's just come right to my last point. He embraced the permanent. He embraced the permanent. Choosing rather, he says, to endure ill treatment with the people of God. See, Moses is no longer going to be a, a prince swishing around the palace. He's going to be with a group of former slaves. First of all, he's with slaves. People have got no appeal. They've got no rights. They've got no freedom. They've got no identity, as it were. Pathetic people. And, and when you become a Christian, one of the things that happens is you lose your individualism and become part of a people. Becoming a Christian means you become part of a community. Trying to live the Christian life alone... Not see people say, Well, I don't. I go to this church this week, I have a look at that one. I don't belong anywhere. You know, the whole body of Christ is mine. In other words, you're not on anybody's washing up rota. It's like, you know, I don't belong anywhere. No, to be a Bible Christian, you belong, you become part of a body. The Bible says we're like a body with hands and eyes and ears, and you're together. This is a, this is a community sort of church where we're members of one another, we get together. The ladies were together for breakfast yesterday. The guys are going away soon. The whole church is going away. We don't just do meetings. We're trying to be a community. We're trying to be in one another's homes, in one another's lives. And, and this is how the, he had to become part of a community. Away from the freedom of being a prince, doing whatever he liked, becoming part of a community with responsibility and with a new identity. A non-influential group. Became part of that. He chose to do that. Actually, for him, there was a shame factor in being identified. And sometimes in church history, there's a kind of a shame factor because sometimes the church is so marginalized in the culture. We happen to live in such a time. You go back a century, the church was very central in this culture. To go to church was a noble thing, it got you points these days to go to church you go to church we started a church in Portsmouth the guy went to plant it Richard Shaw told me he went to the estate agents he said to the girl I want a house in Portsmouth she said "Uh, why moving in she said I'm going to plant a church he said it was an open open style office and she pushed back on her chair on wheels and she said he's going to plant a church anyone here ever been to church And no one in the whole office had ever been to church. You know, these days you're outside. To be a, a committed Christian, you're outside. There's a certain reproach. At university, you could be the only Christian in your group. At school, a teenager, you can be the only Christian. In the workplace, you could be the only Christian. And and, and you believe weird things. You believe like, God created, God created the heavens and the earth. God created us, we believe. We believe Jesus is the only way. It's not lots of, no, no, only Jesus is the only way, we believe. We believe in heaven and hell. You believe? Yeah, we believe that. Why, you're weird. You're like an alien. You're like a stranger. That's exactly what the Bible says. Aliens and strangers. And that's how the church started, difference. When the church started with a little nucleus and they were breaking out. See, the difference with us is with Moses, he left Egypt and went on a journey. For us, we kind of leave Egypt, but we still live there. We're not all going to move to some paradise in Mexico. You go to the office again on Monday. So you kind of left, but you haven't. You've left something profoundly in your value system, but you still turn up on Monday. Whereas Moses could say, I'm leaving, I'm going. But it's just got to be just as real for us, just as thorough, that we are, as it were, outside of the culture. And it says this of the early church in Acts 17:7, 7, speak, speaking against Christians. It says, they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there's another king Jesus so they were living in a culture in those days where you, you worship Caesar Caesar's the god you have, to, you have to worship him you don't, you're in trouble so in our day you're not necessarily in trouble in England you're just weird marginalized when the church was started you were in danger You don't worship Caesar. These people, it says, as they went preaching, they act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And that's beginning to happen in England now, when laws are coming in, changing more and more, reflecting the non-Christian culture more and more. You run your guest house. You say, well, I won't let that happen. I'm sorry. I won't let a room be used like that. You won't? We'll close down your guest house then. You won't? We'll do this then. It's beginning. So you get marginalized because what do you care about? And this guy, he said, no, I'd, rather be, I'd rather be with the despised people. Because there's a permanence about what I'm being called to. There's something that matters to me so much. When we were first starting the church in Seaford, where New Frontiers started, if you like. And we were really trying to build a radical church. And that was quite a different kind of church. And I, and I invited one guy to become a house group leader. And uh, he was doing very well as a house group leader. And actually he was a policeman. And he was invited into uh, his boss and he told him, we want to promote you, but it means this. And he said, well, actually, I don't want to move. Why not? I've just been invited to be a small group leader in my church. Oh, what? Yeah, I don't want to move. And he said to him, you have just committed professional suicide. He said, well, the church mattered more to him. It was more important to him. I've just become a house group leader. <laughs> that's what I do. It's the thing I do. No, no. We're trying to build something radically different. We're trying to build something that will become, we didn't know then, a group of churches that will go right around the world. Where ultimately people would say, I'm off to Japan. I'm off to Istanbul. I'm off to, I'm going. Well, what, 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 you do what? You started at the beginning like, no, I won't take that promotion. Because I want, we, let's just build a church that's totally different. Where people really mean it. Where God is really in our lives. You've committed professional suicide. Pervez, the guy who leads the New Frontiers Churches in Pakistan. He was converted in Dubai, where we've just been. Went back to Pakistan. Six churches he oversees now. It's a very dangerous place to build churches. Very dangerous. When Dave Devonish visits, they have police protection. Armed police protection. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. They're against the decrees. They're against the culture. And that would be true in many nations, wouldn't it? So we're out of step. Moses said, okay, I'm not going to be a prince. I'm going to stand with the despised people. Why? 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 <laughs> because it says he was looking for the reward. It says he says he lived as seeing the unseen. He endured as seeing the unseen. There's something in our lives, dear friends, that is. I mean, we have, we've, we've started eternal life. We know Jesus is alive. We know He's the Son of God. We know these things are true. We know we're going to live forever. We know our sins are forgiven. All our debts are written off. We're going to live for God. So it radically affects the way we live. And Moses is put before us this morning at the beginning of our story. And he's telling us, don't get ensnared by this passing age. You've got to live in it. We can't all run away to Canaan. We're not all meant to live in monasteries. We're not meant to be ascetics. Or as you read about in the early church, what they called pillar saints. Literally lived on top of pillars and they passed food up to them. So they wouldn't be contaminated. Now we live in this world with other people. But there should be something about you and me that provokes questions. What is it with you? What is it with you? You seem to have a completely different value system. And that should be people should touch that. You should be very good at your job. You just well, I'm not interested in this job. I live for heaven. No, no, you should be the best one in your job. Doing a fine job, doing a good job, responsible, doing it well. But say you know, that ultimately I live by another value system for the glory of God. By faith, then, Moses refused to have someone else tell him who he was. He refused the passing pleasures of sin. He's not going to get caught up in that mucky stuff that's going to get banished forever from the presence of God. We don't belong there. We don't belong there. Which I'm not having anything to do with it. We're not looking for power in this world because we've seen something eternal. That's how the story starts. That's how he got started. Let's just stand to pray and the band can come up and we can worship. Let's just come to the Lord Jesus. Beloved, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, it's so profound God's changed your identity. It may be this morning you're feeling, I don't think I've been radical enough. I think the immediacy of Egypt, the immediacy of the present culture, the media, the television, the entertainment world, the whole thing, it's just so in my face that it's shaping who I am. God's wanting us to say, no, I live in this world. But I'm not letting it shape me. Maybe this morning you just want to say to God, I'm sorry, Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. I've let it get to me. Please forgive me. Please help me to make choices that line up with the huge thing you've done for me. Help me to live in the light of eternity. Wash me. Wash me. I'm sorry, Lord. He promises if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us, put us on our feet again. Maybe you've never become a Christian, or not yet. Maybe you're looking in. You're so welcome. So welcome. But we're not offering a little bit of religion. We're offering an eternal inheritance that will never fade away. It's breathtaking. changes everything. If we can help you, please speak to us when we finish the meeting. Let's sing.